This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. All right, welcome to Transparency. We have uh, Katie Herzog with us today. I don't imagine uh, anybody tuning in is not familiar with uh, you and your work, Katie. Uh, you also obviously host a podcast that might not be as popular as this one, but you know, you're getting there. <laughs> uh, anyway, hand it over to you to uh, uh, tell the viewers and <laughs> listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name's Katie Herzog. My podcast is called Blocked and Reported. That's sort of the only thing to introduce at this point. I'm sort of <laughs> yeah, retired, uh, retired journalist. Do I do? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, lazy journalist. Uh, it's summertime, so especially lazy now. But yeah, I, I occasionally do a podcast with Nellie Bowles called TGIF, um, which is hosted on Barry Weiss's Substack, but mostly it's just Black and Reported. Excellent. Well, thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for having me. We talk a lot about, obviously, what we do here is talk about transition and gender dysphoria. And uh, that's something that you've kind of been, well, you've talked before that you had kind of an experience of, of what we now call gender dysphoria when you were a kid, right? And then, um, and then obviously you kind of clued into the, the wave of the, the transition trend. When was, when was that, would you say? Yeah, so actually I'm sort of curious about how our experiences differ. I think that if I were a kid born today, I think I would be diagnosed with gender dysphoria because of the sort of concept creep of, of, of dysphoria. I don't think that I endured the sort of gender dysphoria that right. would like, like assuming that you guys had this experience that you guys did, because I didn't, you know, it sort of resolved itself with, uh, with adulthood. Um, but I was, I was a tomboy growing up. I was the sort of kid who thought literally like I, I would pee standing. I didn't do this all the time, but I, sometimes I would pee standing up. And I thought that if I, I thought I was like any day now I'm going to grow my dick. I thought just like, <laughs> it's, it's happening any day now. You know, I, I really, um, I sort of modeled myself after my big brother, you know, and, and uh, more, I'm a twin and I was not closer with my brother, but I was much more like him sort of wearing his big baggy skater clothes and following him and his friends around. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then at puberty, it had a very sort of like, like getting my period, you know, sort of exciting thing. And to me, it was just this like utter humiliation. I didn't tell anybody, you know, I, I was so uncomfortable with it. Um, but it sort of resolved itself later in life. I, I, I discovered that I was a lesbian sort of later. I was 20 I, I, or was I 20? I was like, like around 18, 19 actually came out at 20 when I started to have this like aha moment because I, I went to college and I met all of these women who turns out that they're all heterosexuals. But at the time it you know, what lesbianism was because this was in the late nineties, early two thousands. And I grew up in a small town. And didn't sort of realize that lesbians could be anything other than like the Rosie O'Donnells of the world. And I wasn't attracted to Rosie O'Donnell. So when I met women who were interested in women who I was attracted to, it was like, oh, maybe something's going on. So that sort of, I think that that really sort of was the, the stake in the heart of any dysphoria that I had was coming to terms with sexuality. Um, and then I, so I, you know, was part of this queer community. I'm, I'm went to college in Asheville, North Carolina, not that different from, from, uh, 
uh, are you out about where you live, Aaron? Yeah, uh, in Bellingham, yeah. Okay, yeah, not that not that different from Bellingham. Um, was involved in the queer community there, and then I moved to Portland, and I was involved in the queer community there, and then sort of have been since I was, you know, 19, 20. But things started to change for me. And, you know, and there were always trans guys in the groups. Like, there was, like, trans women, maybe there'd be, like, one or two on the periphery, but there were always trans guys within these, like, mostly lesbian groups that I lived in, which I find sort of interesting because, you know, tr like, lots of trans activists and their allies will sort of repeat this, trans women are women, trans, trans men are men, but trans men have always been welcome in lesbian spaces in a way that cis men are not, right? Maybe so there were always, during this time when I lived in, with, within like primary lesbian communities or queer communities, because even at the time, lesbianism was sort of quickly, the term lesbian was quickly going out of style. Um, there are always trans men within these communities, which I find sort of interesting because there's all of this rhetoric about how trans women are women and trans men are men. But if trans men were literal men, then they wouldn't be welcome in these spaces because cis men weren't, weren't welcome in these spaces. Um, and then, and I never had any, I never had any issues with, with trans guys or trans women within, you know, it felt, it felt like we were one community. It, it really did within this time. Um, and then. What year was that? Would you say? Okay, so my first sort of inkling that things were changing was like 2013, 2014. So between okay. like the year 2000, so for basically 15 years okay. from 2000 until like 20, 2014, 20. So what happened in 2014 was that this was my sort of first inkling that things were changing. I was living in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and my best friend there was a trans guy, and he lived in a household where there had been like five lesbians living in this household and he transitioned and I never questioned his dysphoria. Like he was, he was, a he had been a very dysphoric child. He thought that he was a boy. He was like, he had sort of a fucked up family. Like his, his grandparents raised him and they raised him as a boy. He thought that he, he mm. literally thought that he was a boy. Um, and then he transitioned. And then within a year, every one of his roommates transitioned. And to me, it was like, this is a, this is a statistical an impossibility that we know that a very small percentage of, of the population suffers from dysphoria is trans. How is it possible that all of you live in the same household? And I, I said this to him, you know, and, and he didn't have any problem with it. We would talk about it and I'd be like, yeah, I, like, and because he was my friend and I was close to him, my assumption was that like, and he was the first, my assumption was that the others were influenced by his behavior, but it still seemed like an anomaly. And then now, so this was 2014, seven years later, I cannot tell you the number of people I know in situations just like that, who they live there, there's a household and the entire household transitions or does this sort of halfway thing where they adopt non-binary pronouns and maybe microdose or, you know, oftentimes have, like there's a thing now where people do top surgery, but not testosterone. I think that's a whole other thing. I think that's just pure fashion. I think that it's like mastectomies are cool now. Um, which mm. is weird. It's fucking weird. Anyway, weird. so that was that was my first. So, yeah, that was 2014. Was when I first started to think something is changing here. Um, and then I wrote this piece for the stranger, the detransitioners in 2017. And so now, which I think this is like the the almost the exact five year anniversary of that piece um, is sometime this week or maybe last week. And, you know, five years later, at the time, it was really hard to find detransitioners. I had to sort of hunt for them um, in little corners of Reddit. And then now, you know, they're very visible and they're everywhere. And obviously, this is something that people talk about. 
um, yeah, so that's sort of my path into this. You kind of got wind of uh, the social contagion right there in uh, in real life in that little little microcosm of what would later explode. Yeah, and the number. And, so I'm 40. Most of my friends are from this period are you know 35 to 45, 50 maybe at this point. And the number of them who have who have transitioned is is like truly astronomical. And some of them haven't actually done anything to transition. They just identify as trans and they change their pronouns and names or whatever. It's just it's astronomical. And the, the thing that I sort of I find so interesting about this is that you know you and you guys talk about this shit all the time. There's people we see on Twitter who talk about this time, who, who talk about this stuff. But within these communities. It's like it's not happening or it's like it's just this it's just something to celebrate. Nobody mm-hmm. ever says, "Wait a second. We were all women 5 years ago and now we're all men and we were actually we were the kind of women who hated men and now we're all men." Nobody ever says that. And that's the part that I find so interesting is that this thing is obviously happening. It's obvious. And mm-hmm. then and there's so few people going, "Wait a second. Like the emperor's dick is hanging out, guys." Like <laughs> Why are we, why are we not talking about this and not to stop, but like, I have gotten literally shunned from these communities. I've gotten kicked out of these communities for being the person to say something weird is going on here. And I don't even like if transitioning alleviates your discomfort or makes you happier and you're an adult, I don't have any fucking problem with that at all, but I don't think it's something that we should pretend isn't happening or pretend is, mm-hmm. is just this sort of natural, oh, you've all, you know, embrace your true self rather than, you know, what's obvious, which is like you guys are following each other <laughs> you all caught the same bug <laughs> and I, see i didn't really understand that it was that pervasive even amongst basically you're describing middle-aged women falling yeah. into this yeah totally that wasn't okay yeah so i'm curious about for you guys okay so have you observed the same thing or okay first of all before you guys transitioned were you in like dyke circles i know aaron i know you're bisexual Aaron, I was, yeah, Aaron. I was in, I was in dyke circles. And so okay. it was 2006 that I okay. transitioned. So, so it was before this big, earlier, yeah. big wave. But yeah. so I remember like when you were describing, you know, the, the lesbians and the trans men were still hanging out, like the butches and the trans men were still buddies. And so I remember that. And then, and then I moved away. And, and so I've still have my, my circle of, of close friends, but I'm not really part of the community anymore. So yeah. I didn't really see it change the way that you did. And, and until I started working with the youth and then you'd see all these youth coming in and then in, in like little peer groups, all wanting hormones together. And, and I could tell like something's, something's weird here. This is different yeah. than, than how we were when, when we were going through that. I mean, I don't, I certainly didn't kind of dance into my doctor's office excited about it. I mean, it, I was, I was tortured, right? Like I was wanting sure. relief from yeah. the dysphoria that, and, and yeah. so I, there was just a very different, I don't even know how to describe it, just a different energy. And I could tell that there just seemed to be a different motivation. And did you, your when you sought treatment, did your doctor shame you or anything like that? I mean, there was much more stigma in, in 2006. It was, it was virtually unknown to most of the world or to most of the country. I, I wasn't shamed at all. Um, the clinic I went to um, was a spe- uh, trans specialized, okay. specialized clinic. So that was, that was the place to go in Vancouver at the time. If, yeah. Yeah. So and how did your how did your like friends and family react to your transition? Um, my family was okay about it. Um, 
the community the, the lesbian community grieves every time yeah. one of us transitions. And now there's now there's no one left to grieve. They've all transitioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a sad, yeah, sad state of affairs. But yeah, so it's, I mean, I think lesbians and trans men have a, a complicated relationship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think, that has, and... I think that's really changed. And because there's so, I like, yes, I think that in, in those days, there was a sense of like, oh, we've lost one, especially if you're butch, we've lost the butch. And now so many of the butches are transitioning that it, like to, to publicly say that you were grieving somebody who transitioned would be tantamount to a hate crime. Um, and would, you know, would be perceived as incredibly disrespectful. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm sure that happens in like, in rad femme spaces, but you know, within the sort of wider queer community, if such a thing exists. Uh, I haven't seen much of that. It's all celebration. Yeah, I, I remember when I, before I kind of left the the whole community, um, I remember it being really complicated when people were like planning pride events, for example, and normally they would have women's only um, spaces for pride. And I remember them, the organizer, overhearing kind of the organizers really struggling with how do we manage this? Like, yeah, we want to include the trans men because they've been part of our community this whole time and they're our friends or our partners sometimes. And, yeah. and then, but there are also some trans women around who identified as lesbians. And how do we, what do we do? Like, I mean, it's, it was really, they were really stumped about how do we best navigate this. And so I, some of them, in some cases, they just said, well, just, it's going to be a no penis rule then. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> as long as the trans men don't get one and as long as the trans women do. Yeah. <laughs> figure it out but I mean they kind of it was kind of a joke but they just I can appreciate how complicated it all was to totally totally organizing events and where where do you draw the line and now back then uh, they could at least talk about it they could you know hash that out you know now you absolutely could not try and figure out yeah yeah now it's probably illegal to have that conversation (laughs) yeah Aaron what's the okay so so we're all in 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 the same region basically yeah Uh, so yeah um and I, I do think that things out here are probably different than they are in Kansas or whatever. But I mean, I've observed uh, lots of what I've, I've observed happens in, in North Carolina, um, but like within queer, queer scenes, you know, so even if you're in the South, it's still the queer scene in the South, which is, you know, its own, its own thing. But for Aaron, what about you? Were you in a, in a, a queer scene before all of this? No, no, I was, um, I, yeah, I was not a lesbian uh, prior to transitioning, and uh, my friends were all sort of, you know, normie. Um, I didn't transition until I was 27. I'd had dysphoria all my life, but because I was attracted to men, transitioning just made no sense. It just seemed like that's, right. that's like, I wasn't worried about, like, dating, like, it wasn't like a, um, a relationship hindrance. It was just like, this looks patently insane, you know, and so, and that was my uh, hesitation for a long time. Um, anyway, and then it started, you know, when, when the, when it was kind of became visible online, I was like, oh, this is something that I can do. Um, I went ahead and did it. Um, but I didn't know any, um, there was one trans guy who worked at my office and that was actually one of the things that made me go, oh, I can do this. So I was a bit, a bit of a, bit of a uh, social contagion. uh, Well, I mean, I I think you can, you can say the same thing about like, that's sort of how I, I, I mean, I would have at some point, I think realized my own 
homosexuality anyway but i i do think that social contagion you need something in real life to be like oh okay this is real people talk about how visibility matters well visibility does matter and this is sort of why and i don't like so people think that social contagion is a negative term i don't think it's i don't think it's inherently negative at all we are mimetic species like everything that we do is influenced by the people around us that is a part of being a human um, but yeah, people act like you're like, I see this all the time on Twitter, you know, I'll say something about social contagion and people are saying you are literally calling trans people a disease. No, no, of course not. Or, or they say you're accusing teenage girls of being so stupid and like that they're just going to fall for a trend. And that's another thing that they spin when you talk well, about they are. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> when I was a teenager, half of the girls in my high school were cutters or bulimics or anorexic. Yeah. Like yeah. nobody comes from the womb saying like, I know I'll just like slice into my arm and it'll make me feel better like that was just a thing then and this is a thing now yeah they've always been the demographic who's most susceptible to these kinds of these kinds of things yeah girls want to fit in it's like there's nothing wrong with that the problem is if you do something permanent and you realize it doesn't actually help you that's the problem yeah 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 so so i okay i think that's one thing that's different about and obviously people hate trans people some trans people hate when you talk about this kind of thing but like for lack of a better term like true trans or whatever people with gender trans true scum uh trans med whatever it's called you know somebody who has like actual dysphoria versus people who oftentimes there's this thing now where people say they don't even have dysphoria they're transitioning anyway and so mm-hmm. i'm curious for you guys like how was your dysphoria was it rooted in your physical body or was it rooted in sort of gender roles and I want to be able to do this thing that I can't do because I'm a girl or was it like an absolute like purely physical I can't stand being in this body yeah for me for me yes it was entire not, not entirely physical I think it comes from somewhere I don't like that's a lot of what we talk about here is like what causes gender dysphoria what you know what is what's the manifestation of this but it was a very personal uh, thing that that felt very much physically like my body is wrong it should not be this way um and and that and that's why I was expected to outgrow it and I did not outgrow it and then so realized okay I can I can solve this thing and so I was totally a true scum once I found out that you know what that what that terminology was I assumed that everybody who transitioned had the same experience that I did which was deep inescapable it ill at ease with uh with the physical body and mm-hmm. um and so so then once, um, you know, transition got more and more popular around like 2015, I want to say, and you start hearing these terms like transmedicalist and true scum and that being a pejorative. And I was kind of like, wait, if, if it's, if this is a specific kind of trans person, then that means that a lot of people who don't experience this are transitioning. And that's, that's kind of uh, concerning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, uh, and then, so, um, but I kind of clued in really in about 2017, because yeah, I live in a, you know, as we discussed, a pretty uh, progressive college town. And I just kind of assumed I was one of a handful of trans people here, uh, not realizing. Yeah. And then so suddenly there's all these, all these trans men around and I'm befriending them and they're talking about how, well, no, I don't have dysphoria. And, you know, I transitioned because I'm trans and I'm like, well, what the fuck does that mean? And they're like, you're making me feel emotionally unsafe. And then it's the conversation. <laughs> and so, so I was like, something real, real odd is afoot here. And yeah, uh, yeah that's what I found your, your article and, and like, and uh, Lisa Littman's and I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. People and- are seeing this. So what's it like to be in Bellingham as sort of an out problematic gender critical trans man? Do people give you shit there? I, no, I'm not. I'm not a very um, uh, 
Yeah, all my friends are the same normie friends I've had since I was okay. a teenager. I don't like, I'm not a public figure. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I've never been like in a queer scene at all. Yeah. So it's never yeah. been an issue for me. And I, you yeah. know, have like five friends. So yeah, that <laughs> yeah, helps. never been impacted. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what about you, Aaron? Is it, has it caused problems in your life? Not in my immediate life. No. I mean, I, because I do live apart from the scene at this point. I think if I was still like in Vancouver and still trying to socialize with some of those people, it would probably be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But I've already been kicked out of every Facebook group that I can be. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I have a, I can, like, if I, if I really want to check out on what's going on with the local queer exchanges, I can log into my wife's account, but it's just usually people asking for money. <laughs> What was what was your response then? Like, and so in, in 2017, you kind of kind of you, I think you were told when you were writing the detransition piece that there was going to be, you know, some backlash to this, and you're like, oh, that well, probably not, or maybe a little bit, and then yeah. and then suddenly, you know, you're being, uh, yeah. you know, Katie Herzog is a transphobe, spray painted and whatnot. Like, yeah, I mean, I knew there was going to be backlash. I didn't realize that it was going to be so much and it was going to be I didn't realize that it was going to impact my personal relationships because for one thing I was naive enough to think that being a part of the queer community would sort of save me mm. identity does not despite that like the emphasis on identitarianism at this point in the culture it does not save you and in fact I think in some cases makes it worse if you're a part of the community um what really but I knew there was going to be backlash what I didn't know was how many people who I had like known and loved for years and people had been really good friends with who would drop me and they did. And like people who know that I'm not transphobic because they have seen me be like close friends with trans people and not to be all like some of my best friends are black, but some of my best friends were trans and they actually were better about it than uh, the, the cis people, maybe because they didn't feel the need to like perform allyship for their own people but um so that was that was and remains the sort of most surprising difficult part and that has actually increased in recent years um where like more and more people who I thought had sort of we sort of gotten through gotten over that hump and and then um uh and then for some reason in the past like year or so there's been like more and more waves of of older and closer friends dropping me um and I learned this usually because nobody, because all of these people who are so fucking brave cannot tell me to my face that they have a problem with me. And so I will learn this because I realize I've been like defriended on social media. And I talked to a friend about this. Um, one of my like few remaining old friends, we talked about it a few months ago and she, uh, and she was like, look, people have come to me. She lives in San Francisco. We haven't lived in the same city in a long time. And she said, you know, people have come to me and they have demanded that I, that I end our friendship. People who don't know me, people who don't know me. And she declined to do that because she's a good person, but a hell of a lot of people were like, okay, sure. You know that I'm friends with Katie Herzog. I will just end this, this friendship I have had for 10 or 15 years um, because random person tells me to. And that's a, been a very instructive and uh, disheartening thing to realize that people that you invested lots of time and energy in are basically fucking cowards. Um, so that's been sort of the hardest part about all of this and the part that is like the most lingering. But everything else, like, I mean, 
the backlash was great for my career. It was like scary <laughs> at first, but I can like thank all of these people who, uh, you know, made a big stink about this article for, you know, I got a job at the stranger out of it. My podcast, I, you know, a lot of that, the attention that we've gotten comes from, from Jesse and I's stance on this stuff. So it's been great for my career. I should send them a fruit basket. Um, but yeah, that's been sort of the, the like real lingering downside is that, you know, people who I like whose weddings I went to and who I lived with pretend that I no longer exist. Um, but other than that, <laughs> other than that, no, no, uh, no downsides, no regrets. It's such a big change over the last 15 years. Like, you know, from, from going from, you know, what I was mentioning of people organizing events and trying to think through these things in a thoughtful way to be inclusive, but how do we, you know, how do we do that? And it, it, at least the conversation was happening. And yeah, I don't know if this has just sort of been a slow kind of mind creep or if it's been more, it, cause it feels sudden that things have gotten so weird. Yeah. I, I, I think it's been both gradual and sudden. And I think part of it comes from Donald Trump and the Trump moment. And there was this after Donald Trump was elected, a lot of people on the left had this sort of like, okay, now is the time to show that I am on the right side of history. And their way of showing that they're on the right side of history was being very publicly performative about their politics and their goodness. And, you know, like how many on Facebook every time, like there was another round of this after, after the Roe decision, if anybody supports this unfriend me right now. And the same thing happened after Trump. If you didn't, if you voted for Donald mm -hmm. Trump, if you voted for Bernie Sanders or Jill Stein or whatever, unfriend me right now, there was so much of that. And, and I, and I understood it at the time. I still understand it now because it feels, it feels like these are issues of life and death. And it feels like there's a good side and a bad side and everything feels very black and white, but it's not that's true right and that's also counterproductive because if you want to change people's opinion the way to do it isn't to like take your presence out of their life and say like this is my basketball and I'm going home fuck you for not being like me it doesn't work it's much more effective as we should know from the gay rights movement it is much more effective to stay in people's lives if you want mm -hmm. to change them not that like changing people should be a primary motivation of, of remaining in relationships with people you should do it because it's important to have relationships with people and it's important to have relationships with people who don't believe the same things that you do um but i think yeah i think a lot of this came from the trump moment and it just this this feeling that now is now is the time we are you know it's germany 1936 it is time to to put my foot down and say i am on the right side of history I guess it does, you know, make, when you put it like that, it does make sense to me too, that people feel like, okay, we need to reinforce our walls of this fortress because we feel like there's a very real threat. Totally. But I would much rather the LGBT community put its heads together and recognize the mistakes that we've made and problem solve and figure this out than to leave it to the Trumps of the world to figure right. it out for us. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the problems. Like, I wish that Frankly, I wish that this was a conversation that all of us could be having in private and we could figure this shit out, you know, and not have this and, and not have not the three. I mean, not that I don't want to have this conversation in private in public, but all of this stuff, like the right wing influence on on what's going on in the United States is really bad. 
And it's not just bad if you're a, a gender dysphoric kid. It's bad if you are a person who is skeptical of trans youth healthcare because, and I've said this a bunch of times on our show and elsewhere, because every time Texas passes some anti-trans law, Oregon or California or wherever, or the country of Canada will respond to that by passing some, lo- some law liberalizing access to healthcare. And it just goes back and forth forever and ever and ever. And it seems so, like every time the pendulum swings, it seems to swing farther, farther, right? Totally, totally. California has decided that it is now a sanctuary state for trans kids or kids who call themselves trans, whether or not they actually have gender dysphoria is probably another question. Um, yeah, so I just, I wish that this stuff, I wish that all politics could, all of these cultural war issues could, could you know, we could all get together, have some tea and figure it out. But that's obviously not how anything works, unfortunately. A good old potluck. A, po- a fucking lesbian potluck. What happened to the lesbian <laughs> That solves potluck? everything. Yeah, yeah. Bring your lentils. <laughs> See, when I, when I, what has struck me by, by such surprise is like the experience that you were talking about in, um, a sort of Twitter, Twitter friend, uh, uh, Robbie's talked about this a lot. It was like, you know, when he was, he's a gay man, when he came out about uh, being what we now call gender critical, all of his personal close friends dropped him as well, similar to what happened to you. And I can't, I can't fathom it because I guess, again, I didn't like, I've never been part of any sort of like queer community. I'm not sure if, if that's really even relevant, but like when I have my group of friends, you know, no matter how many pe- new people would come to a dinner party or whatever, we could have really complicated conversations about, you know, uh, difficult topics. And a lot of people could like hotly disagree and it was not really a problem. And so now when these conversations happen like this and basically you're a fascist scum, even though, you know, you were my, you know, dear friend last week, it's like, I just don't understand how people's brains can do that. Like I, how many, that's, that's the thing is like, I can understand a few people who are just, you know, again, totally cowards, but it's, it's just the sheer numbers. It seems like, you know, the whole contrarian heterodorks. Um, I just, I listen to that podcast too much. Heterodox, <laughs> excuse me. Um, uh, um, uh, people, it's like, like it, it just, it just seems so strange that in order to, uh, to, to talk honestly and uh, that, 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 this is, that there were a fringe group of people to, to just talk about things as they really are. It just, that's yeah. what's all been so, so mind boggling to me. Yeah, you probably have a particular personality traits traits that that lend you to that. I think most people are like I don't think there's anything about queer communities that are maybe there is more sort of inherently cloistered and elitist in a way or exclusive in a way. Maybe there is, but I imagine that these same things okay. happen within, you know, a church community. Let's say you're in a, you know, in a whatever, like a very religious community. And it turns out that somebody had an abortion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Probably that the same shit happens. Yeah, no, I, 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 I grew up in that environment. Okay. Yeah. Where, yeah, it was yeah. An evangelical Christian. And then okay. this one, uh, this one teenage, teenager, this girl, she was a lesbian. And suddenly she was out and nobody was meant to interact with her because basically totally. could also be tainted. And so yeah. I remember that in, inside strict uh, religious confines, but now it's like, now there's just this, yeah. this religion has, so, has engulfed. So you're, okay. So how did your family react when you transitioned? So 
I was basically sort of estranged from my mom by the time that I that I transitioned and she wasn't really, um, you know, a factor in there. It, it's really complicated, the, the kind of my family's trajectory. Um, uh, my, my dad was never particularly religious, but my mom was hardcore religious. She and, and she kind of kept us in a very strict like we were homeschooled, went okay. to church, you know, two or three times a week. Yeah. Um, only friends were in the, you know, the church community. Um, and my dad just worked all the time, uh, but he yeah. wasn't really into the whole he didn't really believe the same things my mom did, but who cares? You know, it wasn't really an issue. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, I, I became an atheist at around uh, 21 or so, and um, then became a genderology extremist about seven years later. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was like a Christopher Hitchens atheist too. I was yeah. like, this is bullshit. It's dangerous. Yeah. Like, I'm going to tear it all down. And then, and then yeah. Uh, just, yeah, uh, yeah, a few years later, I was suddenly like, we all have a gendered soul. And sometimes that can mismatch <laughs> from our body. And <laughs> how did you and let's give kids surgery to fix yeah. it? How, so, okay, so what was your path out of out of uh, the church of gender? It's meeting meeting all those people who were transitioning to be trans, they would literally say, you know, I don't have gender dysphoria, but I have to transition to show that I'm trans. And I was like, well, this is something weird going on here. Yeah. And so I started digging in more and like kind of reimmersed myself in the trans community online. And it was entirely different. Like it, that was the kind of stuff that was being talked about. And I was like, oh, wait, maybe the, maybe what I have isn't real. Like, because right. I also started to read about the, the detransitioners experiences and a lot of their experiences of gender dysphoria actually felt a lot more similar to my own. And then for whatever reason, transition didn't work for them or made their dysphoria worse or whatever it was. And, um, and so, yeah, just reading, hearing different experiences of this made me realize, okay, I had some experience. I don't know what it was. We need, you know, that led me to believe this. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was easier than letting go of religion. That's very, because like I've said this a bunch of times is that coming face to face or accepting the reality of mortality is a lot more difficult than accepting mm -hmm. the reality of biology. So it's mm -hmm. like, I'd already done this before and this and letting go of this belief um, yeah. is kind of, I, I, like, I feel as for me, I, I think of religion as like a loophole, religions that have an afterlife, bleh, an afterlife, uh, that they're kind of like a loophole to death or a loophole to meant to mortality, you know? And, uh, and that's, and that's kind of what, gender ideology was for me it was like this is a loophole like I'm not actually female like I can yeah this 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 belief system is giving me an out you know yeah is, is telling me that my brain really is male and I want to believe that and this is allowing me to but yeah that un undoing that kind of security blanket was um yeah kind of a piece of cake yeah I'm sure when I was younger yeah having a no uh, everlasting life is sort of a bigger shock to the system I would imagine I've always been also somebody who's just terrified of death as a little bit yeah. of an overshare but like just yeah. terrified of death and so like it was very difficult to, to, to yeah, to yeah. Give that up. yeah have you found a way to sort of come to terms with that no I'm looking for some tips here <laughs> <laughs> sorry no <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, I do. I, I definitely am not a Christopher Hitchens atheist anymore in that I, um, I think that religion actually does far more good than harm. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like, you know, um, I don't know, I kind of like to be in something. No, because yeah. like, like I, I've kind of, you know, the whole kind of embraced being just a, just a kind of a 
a true skeptic, like I was committed to being in my twenties and then obviously I wasn't. So, so that, that's my purpose is just uh, committing to, uh, to not falling for it again. It is interesting how a lot of the sort of, uh, what did they call the, the atheists, the like nineties, two thousands atheists, like the, the new atheists. Yeah. The new atheists, how a lot of those communities have, have really have gone super woke, um, in a way that does seem to see them sort of embracing tenants that to to us may seem religious. Yeah. Um, Or like the science-based medicine, Jesse was tweeting about them today. These people are supposed to be rigorous skeptics when it comes to um, quackery, but they seem to uh, take or put on their blinders within this one particular of, of medicine. Right. Where some babies are just born into the wrong bodies. Totally. That makes absolute sense there's a right body and a wrong body. And every once in a while, they just like skip the right one on the assembly line. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This whole, I, this idea that everybody has a gender identity. Do you guys, do you guys believe that? No. Sorry, I can't speak for you, Aaron, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, I I never really believed in like the whole, the gender identity model is is actually kind of new to me I was oblivious to that interesting like yeah to John Money and that whole mm-hmm. that whole line of thinking I was oblivious to so I, I was more because I was a part of the gay and lesbian community I initially just understood it as there's some really masculine women and some really effeminate men that seem to experience yeah. this yeah, I think that's how that's how I thought of it when I first like met trans people as a young adult. That was it was sort of like, oh, you're super butch or super gay. That was the, you know, and then and then when I started to meet non-binary, that was like, oh, okay, so you're trans light. Like, you know, it's this sort of spectrum of like masculine to feminine, and everybody would sort of fit somewhere on that on that spectrum. Um, but then now it's like, you know, you have women who are completely gender conforming telling people that they're non-binary or whatever you've probably seen this too you know in our neck of the woods is i've seen a lot more is like typically feminine looking uh young women with like he him badges on them <laughs> and, and, you know a lot of them have deep voices too it's like oh you're hitting the testosterone yeah too. yeah you know so i have considered I have seriously considered microdosing tea, not because I have dysphoria, but because I want to be able to do a pull up. Um, and I do think, and like, you know, I, I like follow lots of trans guys on Instagram or I don't follow them. I like check in on their accounts because I refuse to follow them. And the amount of, I, did you guys have that as experience? Like, you know, higher sex drive, all of a sudden you're strong in a way that you never were as a woman. That sounds fucking amazing. It's like confidence, you know, aggression. It sounds like a performance enhancing drug because it is. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 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 So did you guys have this, like when you started taking testosterone, this sort of like, holy shit, I can do anything experience. It definitely, I mean, I I wouldn't say it was really, uh, really dramatic change, but it was, it was a gradual change you know, slowly developing more muscle mass and, and things like that. But I, it, it's a mood enhancer. Yeah. I think that was probably one of the first things I noticed is that, and if I'm late or if I accidentally miss a dose, I just don't feel like I have as much energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds amazing. I, you know, if there weren't side effects, uh, like I don't want to like go through puberty again. I don't want to get acne. I don't want to, you know, get back hair. If you didn't have those unfortunate side effects, I would seriously consider it. I feel the same way about smoking. 
Ja. <laughs> ja. Wat een held. Ja. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way about testosterone that I do alcohol. It's like, I, I just like to, I, I yeah. know it's not good for me, but here I go. Yeah. But, um, oh, I'll just, uh, I, I think I have a kind of a, a more subtle experience of it because I was on, I was put on uh, half the typical dose for the first mm. five years and then it was up. And so it was kind of, it was a very gradual thing. I never mm. noticed uh, much of a change in my moods. Anger was easier to come by and, um, And yeah, it was just kind of, yeah, a little bit more energy. Like I suddenly, like you want to, I see a fan. I'm like, oh, I want to climb that. Like, no, yeah. Did but, you uh, find that you were all of a sudden better at math? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, actually, this is not, this is not, um, uh, I do, I, did, I only noticed this kind of recently and it could just be aging or whatever. Um, but I did, I have noticed that I got this significantly less interested in like people and relationship dynamics mm -hmm. and more interested in things objects uh, you know uh, it's just that is interesting uh, so, yeah 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 i've always so, been like that so i i wouldn't mm -hmm. say that i've ever really changed but i don't you know have a masculine that, soul well yeah that that must be it because i don't know how much because i did have um an ovotesticular dsd and i so i don't know to what extent oh. that already because my my testosterone levels were already higher than that's normal. interesting okay so were you diagnosed at birth or did that come no later? i was diagnosed when i was 19 interesting so that might be why i didn't i didn't feel a dramatic difference because my brain was probably already exposed to testosterone for yeah my life Wow, that is really interesting. Now, if only you were an identical twin, and uh, you know, some way to tell if you would if you would have grown up to be uh, to be trans, if this if you didn't have the DSD, that would be that's very interesting. Yeah, we're we're a tiny minority in the trans community, but there are certain DSDs that are known to have a higher rate of um, same sex attraction and gender dysphoria. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think there's actually a chapter on it in uh, uh, Alice Dreyer's mm. uh, Galileo's Middle Finger. I forget the name of the of the particular DSD, but yeah, they're more likely to yeah grow up to be lesbians and experience gender dysphoria resultingly. Yeah, that's really interesting. So hmm. many studies I, that need to be done. Yeah, and probably won't be. They're too uh, inconvenient. <laughs> I I think we're getting there though. I really do. Um, I think the 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 speed at which we're reaching the end of, of the, the entire, you know, media and thought blackout on anything trans related. I feel like it's crumbling totally. uh, quite quickly. Yeah. I hope, I hope we're like, it's interesting because I noticed on, on Twitter, Aaron, you commented on, um, you know, a fairly queer trans man. I think he's a journalist and, and he was saying, well, we're just, just to warn you, we're all about to disappear. We're all about to lose our public voice. You know, we're not going to be able to, to ever, you know, I'm having trouble um, publishing articles now. And it's, and I almost commented really, because I'm actually finding it easier to, to yeah. publish articles. <laughs> What's his name? The guy from Slate? His so no, his name's his name's Evan Irk something. Right, he, Evan Irk. He wrote a piece right. about uh, about the yeah, detransitioners and just completely discrediting their client. Anyway, yeah. it, was, it was atrocious, like a year or two ago. Um, but that is the very person who, Katie, remember I sent you uh, yes. uh, an article. It's like why I'm still a butch lesbian. Yes. A trans yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what was the time? Yeah. When, I can't remember what the, the date was on that. Was um, yeah, he also he wrote a piece about one of the people I interviewed for my detransition piece, Kai Shivers, now known as Kai Shivers. Um, 
who uh, now says that like retransition, but I think still goes by she uh, and now like says that everything that they basically said that they were lying to me during this, during this uh, interview and uh, has come out sort of against detransitioners and gender crits because I think it had something to do with a breakup, but that's just, that's just, that's just the gossip that I heard uh, that Evan neglected to mention on his, uh, in his piece about Kai Shivers changing their mind. When, when I was trying to, uh, I was DMing with, with Evan for a while. Um, I can't remember. Oh yeah. Because after I read that article, I was like, well, this is fascinating. Like, how did you go from, from th this is why I'm still a witch lesbian. And he was talking a bunch about um, in that article, um, basically saying how gender stereotypes are unnecessary. And just because I'm masculine doesn't mean I am a man. And I was like, okay. And now you're just Uber yeah. on, the, on the gender train um, and very vehemently anti anyone who's gender critical or even anyone who detransitions. And so I was like, I asked him on the podcast. I was like, normally we don't, we don't. Uh, oh, you had him on the show? No, I asked him and he definitely declined oh, very, uh, oh. very aggressively, let's say. Too bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was like, we don't usually have people on that we disagree with, but I, you know, I don't want to debate you. I just want to hear, you know, hear yeah. what that experience was like, how, you, you know, how your mind came to change like that. Um, anyway, so he, yeah, denied, but we, we, um, we kind of kept uh, like in communication via DM and uh, he was basically saying how uh, he's heard everything I'm saying before and I should really um, uh, listen to Kai Shevers because you know, she had the exact, she, she was a, she was a gender, gender critical uh, person as well, or, or anti, I can't remember how he phrased it, um, but I should listen to her. And I was like, wait, so she retransitioned, but you're using she, her pronouns. Like, he's like, well, I can't explain her gender to you. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. I think that if you like, obviously identity is unstable for some people and uh, obviously some people are unstable. I think it is ill-advised to put your eggs in the basket of somebody who would publicly admit to lying or publicly yeah. just like there's a lot yeah. of drama surrounding that person. I think Evan might come to regret. Um, like I do, I, I regret relying on Kai Shivas for a, for an interview. Um, I think Evan might also regret that. Who knows where Kai Shivers is going to be in the next detransition to retransition to detransition to re you know, who knows where yeah. Evan will be even Evan uh, seems to have um, some, a shifting gender identity as well. Oh, really? Well, I just mean in terms of the, uh, you know, I'm a butch lesbian. There's, oh, I, I would yeah, never yeah. transition to, I'm a man. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I noticed that's becoming more and more a part of the, the trans narrative, though, is this idea of that shifting and that it's just fluid and we're all on a gender journey and we could transition and then retransition and yeah, we could just keep and doing the, this forever. Yeah. The most insidious part, I think, is when, when you're talking about transition regret and now they're phrasing that as stigma against detransitioners. The right. only reason you'd be cautious about, you know, transition regret is to stigmatize detransitioners, um, which is just infuriating. Right. Right. Yeah, I've never heard a detransitioner say that. No. Yeah, uh, I do think this thing; these things have changed really rapidly. I expect them to change even further, and you can see this in sort of the media coverage of this. There are lots of things that there are like. There was a piece in New York Magazine a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, about some some guy, they, them, wrote this piece about how, like, basically against pronoun circle jerks, he goes by they, them. This is, like, shit that I was writing for The Stranger five years ago and was 
you know, people were like literally spray painting that I was a bigot around the city. And now these things are being published in, in the pages of New York magazine, which I think is great. Um, I would like an apology, but <laughs> since that will never be forthcoming, um, I will comfort myself by knowing that the vibe is shifting. Um, but yes, it has happened quickly. And who knows what's going to happen? I mean, you think people are start, will start getting their, uh, the people who got their Harry Potter tattoos removed, you think they'll get them, get them back? They'll unremove their, their t- Harry Potter tattoos? I am really curious what what people are going to, how people are going to justify on the other side of this. You know, like take for example all the people who defamed you and who were friends and 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 um, uh, dropped you. Like when 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 it's all revealed to be an atrocious experiment on vulnerable people and children, and like we know where this is going. It's like how do yeah um like. So the people who, yeah, the Harry, the, the J.K. Rowling's and everybody who's been, um, you know, just just absolutely smeared by famous people and um, not so famous people. It's like how are what? I think you you kind of alluded to uh, to 1930s Germany earlier. So I feel I feel uh, privileged. Uh, yeah, at liberty to, to do so. <laughs> but it's like it's like you know uh, that that article, the screamers, or that essay, the screamers about the people saying, "Look, wake up! This is happening. This is happening," and eventually everybody's going to be like, "Oh shit, that yeah. happened!" And I condoned it and endorsed it and uh, ridiculed those who are trying to to yeah. raise alarms. Uh, you know, especially in this in this age where it's all so public, it's all so right. the record is there. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I'm gonna, I'm, yeah. What do you guys think that's gonna look like? I don't think people are going to apologize. Um, there's a, I got really interested in learning about satanic panic and the repressed memory craze a few years mm-hmm. ago. And there was a lot of that happening in Washington state. There were cases in Olympia, cases in Wenatchee. And I have some friends who are from Wenatchee, Washington. In Wenatchee, they had this very, very bizarre culmination of event. They called it, I believe it was called the ring where there were these rumors that all of these people in the community, people who had been well-loved within the community, you know, Sunday school teachers, pastors, teachers were accused of these horrific and impossible crimes. You know, a kid would say, yeah, uh, you know, my Sunday school teacher came into my bedroom in the, in the middle of the night and uh, stole me away and took me to a cave and uh, made me eat dead babies, shit like that. Just total impossibilities. People went to jail for these crimes. And this went, and of course, this also was happening at the, you know, sort of some, some similar confluences. There were some, uh, some, like there's this famous cover of Ms. Magazine uh, uh, around this time where the, the cover is something like believe them. Um, you know, so you had basically like feminists and, and also some Christians and the media is sort of all complicit within spreading this panic. And I have, so I have some of these friends from Wenatchee, all of this was discredited. And I asked them about it one day and they, and they were like, they had never, the fact that these people were subsequently exonerated had never sort of filtered down to their community. So they had heard of, they were kids at the time, you know, they were young teenagers and they knew that this wild thing had happened, that there was the ring. Um, but they didn't know that these people weren't guilty. And I interviewed this woman who had been from this community and she had, she had this, she was very faithful and she had sort of forgiven everybody. But my friend who's from there, her dad was a pediatrician. And I asked her to, I said, why don't you ask your dad about this next time you go home? And she did. And 
it turns out that he was one of these expert witnesses who were testifying against members of his own community. And he did not want to talk about it with her. And he said, you know, at the time we thought we were doing the right thing. And I, I think he's yeah. a good person. And I think that a lot of the people who have been, you know, on the other side of the trans issue than us are oftentimes good people. And they genuinely believe that they are saving people's lives because this is what they have been told over and over and over. And I don't fault them for believing these things. You know, most people are not skeptical by nature, I don't think. And they think that they are doing the right thing because this is the message that they have gotten. Uh, so how will they feel when this, when everything shakes out? Probably pretty fucking stupid. Will they admit this? Probably not. But I don't think most people yeah. do. Yeah, I'm not really expecting any any apologies either. Yeah. I, like, I think that I think somehow the the narrative will just start to morph and shift into something else, right? To save face. Yeah. And yeah. Try yeah. to wrap all of this into their worldview. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, I have had people have apologized to me, but nobody I'm close. Like I've had people come up to me and say, like, I thought that you were a bigot in a turf. Uh, and then I read your work and I'm sorry. I believe what people said to you, but it's not, but these are strangers. These are people who have read my work. It's not like anybody I have known closely has, or will ever apologize. Not holding my breath for that one. I'll just enjoy being right from a distance alone from a distance. <laughs> You need to buy a billboard that says, I told you so. (laughs) And the pride colors. That's funny. (laughs) I am, I am sort of, you know, so this is, this might be something that you guys and I disagree on. I have, and I'm not sure if you guys have as well. Maybe you have, I have gotten not nearly as much, but I have gotten some like real hate from, from gender crits, specifically around the Graham Linehan shit. Um, and I have, and so now, and so, which has been very instructive. I have also discovered through a personal connection that there are very real TERFs who actually do hate trans people and they mm-hmm. talk about this shit openly on Twitter mm-hmm. or at least under a pseudonym. And it's disgusting. It's like, like, and I think oftentimes it's, it's women who, you know, sort of admire Valerie Solanas and, you know, are, are like very, very radical in that way. Like hate trans men because trans men betrayed the, the sex and hate trans women because trans women are males. Um, and this is not something that I had ever really seen until I sort of fell into this due to a uh, family member becoming a like realtor, a family member who had been, has been like LGBT and Q um, throughout time and now has landed in a very, very, very turfy position. Um, and I have been trying to, uh, be a moderating influence. Um, so, but I have, I have seen the other side and I, and I think it is, there's less threats of violence probably. Um, but I think it is just as toxic as the radical, you know, trans activist. What do you guys think about it? <laughs> and we've talked about this before. They're, they're basically two sides of the exact same coin. Totally. It seem. Um, uh, yeah, I got, I got plenty of, plenty of taste of that. They, uh, they like to, uh, say things, but, um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, we do, we do disagree a bit on the, on the Graham, uh, line of hand stuff. We talked about that back when that was for that, that drama was, was shaken out that I, mm-hmm. I do, I, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the ways that, uh, Graham says things, but I do, I appreciate that what he's doing. Um, and, um, 
but yes, so there was like this this great uh, gender critical radical feminist schism that happened uh, late Ooh. late two thousand twenty one. Um, that yeah, there there's the 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 very toxic um, uh, fringe of the of the of, yeah. What happened? Yeah, they're, they're not they're not gender critical. Well, so what happened was. Um, Actually, it was our last uh, last week's guest, Debbie Hayton. She okay. was on, um, yeah, yeah. So, she, so she was on Gender a Wider Lens, Sasha and Stella's podcast, right? Yeah. And um, and Sasha and Stella obviously use she/her pronouns with her, and um, uh, just they called the episode the Pink Mist because it was all about you know the the euphoria experience and whatnot. Anyway, um, they got absolutely demolished by for, these, for the using feminists. her. For using Debbie's pronouns, for, for platforming her, for using the she/her pronouns, for um, basically any like they would they picked apart every sentence spoken in that episode, and um, and it was it was a it was a pile on that obviously Debbie uh, is always at the bottom of bottom of pile on radical feminists and, and 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 trans uh, trans activists. I have so much respect for her because oh she just God. keeps going despite uh, yeah fire yeah. from every direction. So, so they, uh, they, you know, defame the uh, gen spec and gender a wider lens and um, because, you know, they're moderate on this issue. Um, anyway, and at one point, um, Artie, uh, who, who I, I, yeah, yeah, big fan of, um, I know you guys have your, your squabbles, but um, uh, uh, he came in at Debbie's defense and he'd been drinking too much. And he said, um, he's always, he's, he's very, uh, emotionally expressive person like he makes he makes arguments emotional and I don't appreciate that that's definitely not how I communicate or uh, it's just but that's he's an emotional guy and he'd been drinking and he basically said a lot of radical feminists um basically think and talk about AGPs with bloodlust and essentially um it was true <laughs> you know that's true he, it's true he could yeah. he could have phrased it a different way but it was entirely true and that just kind of threw a whole propane tank on the existing fire and uh, yeah. And then, so that's, that's, it just got also, uglier and uglier from that. Yeah. He also yeah. said that in the context of, cause he had been talking about having a friend who had AGP who had, I think commit suicide. I think he died by suicide. Mm. So I think he was also just kind of, it was bringing up probably that yeah. incident of losing a friend. And I mean, I don't know what the circumstances were around that loss either, but that, I mean, that's how I interpreted that comment of they have bloodlust is, you know, you're pushing, you're bullying and pushing people to the point of death sometimes, mm-hmm. which is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This instinct to pick on everybody, like picking on Debbie Hayden, what advantage is there? What possible advantage is there? And, you know, you see this, I sort of watch these things from a distance because I'm not, I'm not an activist and I'm not really involved in these communities other than a sort of observer and commentator but you you know you just you see the same things happening that happen in every progressive space it seems like especially every online progressive space where there's these purity tests and infighting and eventually the whole fucking thing crumbles much to the you know joy of the people that you are that you have been previously fighting against and because this all happens publicly on twitter um you know i think it's sort of an embarrassment one that i enjoy because i i like drama and it's interesting to me um but yeah it you know this is one of the problems of having these conversations with public is that people can see how fucking crazy everybody is (laughs) yeah i think i think a lot of what fuels it is 
speaking of like say the, the, that, that toxic fringe of, of radical feminism is they, um, they they don't they don't look at the broader culture of how this is all playing out. They only see it within the confines of their social media bubble, yeah. and everybody who's kind of taking a tone that's more public facing and uh, accessible to uh, you know maybe people who disagree with you or normies is like you are obviously an infidel if you are not right. you know as as ideologically pure yeah. as them. Yeah, we get a lot of that. We get people mad at us because we yeah. uh, we like don't misgender people and we don't. I will make some exceptions to that. Like, at, like for instance, you know, if there's some dude who's who decides that he's going to go by they them because it's it's like politically expedient, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, which there's a couple of like writers who have to, who have announced this. It's not because I'm trans or have gender dysphoria. I just I'm doing this for poli- for political reasons, and I don't I don't. I don't fuck with that. But for the most part. Also, is it really disrespectful to trans people to do that? I mean, how, how is there any other way to interpret that? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I put on my trans shirt for the day. Call me right um, Be putting on, you know, a feather headdress. Yeah. 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 <laughs> my culture is not your costume, fucker. Um, so, uh, yeah, I do find, like, I, I, not just the fact that misgendering I find unkind, but I think if your goal is to demonstrate, you know, is, is to like win political battles, I don't think it's it's politically expedient either. It makes you look like an asshole. To the outside, it makes you look like mm-hmm. an asshole. Um, and that that's something that, you know, there's, and it's like everybody makes exceptions to this, even, even someone like Graham who, who does misgender people. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't, I doubt he would misgender you guys, would he? No, he hasn't. We've been on. He hasn't. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. he's not going to do it to his friends, but he's going to do it to his enemies. And I and I think that's kind of fucked up too. I think he and he and Artie both have the perspective of it's like it's a courtesy bestowed on people they respect. And yeah. so when somebody is behaving, you know, yeah. um, disrespectfully, they it's like they're not extending that courtesy, apparently. Yeah, I yeah. just I, I think that's it's inconsistent and it's silly. And you know, you know, it's I just I don't get that. It, it like there are, you know, there and there's also a difference between public and private speech. What I say to my wife about uh, about somebody is very different than what I say publicly. Um, you know, and I I am looser with the misgendering <laughs> certain people when it when it you no know, not everybody just certain people. Who, that, but, but couldn't you just extend that that they're just being completely transparent in uh in in that discourse? Like maybe, the, maybe, but I, maybe, maybe they are being transparent, but that doesn't mean it's, it's like, it's still smart. And obviously right, like, if right, you look I at what you has happened, strategic. right. It's not strategic. And if you look at what has happened in Graham, um, I don't read his, read his stuff, but the sense, unless I get a Google alert from my name that says that he's been, he's been talking about me again, or somebody forwards it to me. Um, you know, I think if you look at what happened, like, I don't think, I think that Graham is suffering. I think he's, he's, suffering a lot because he has turned his life into about this fight a fight that he is not he's not a part of this community he's a total outsider you know in both like the feminist side lesbian side he's not he's a straight he's a straight dude um i feel bad for the guy i really do like to let some to let something take over your life to the point where you lose your family over it i think it's just like it's sad and unhealthy I, I, yeah, we definitely still disagree on, 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 on this. I, I, yeah, I, I commend, I know I, 
yeah, he's obviously dealing with with a lot. I don't really want to yeah, kind of kind of comment on on Graham's like like mm-hmm. uh, mental state or whatnot. But I I think having having anybody with a platform talking about this is a net positive. That's my perspective, and I definitely yeah. don't subscribe to the stay in your lane kind of stuff. Um, it's like I he sees you know he sees you know um, kind of aggressively privileged men you know stomping all over feminists and he's like oh well, let me say something about this and well maybe he's saying it the wrong way but I don't know I I think he's a net, net positive I, I don't think he is I think he's a net negative because you can hold him up as one of the extremists who who is who he becomes if he becomes the face of the sort of gender critical movement I don't think it's good for people who are making more moderate arguments um, the same way that you don't want, you know, a, a moderate conservative shouldn't want Milo Yiannopoulos to be the face of, of their movement, um, you know, because he does have a high profile, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling, I think, is a, is a much better sort of public figure if there if there needs right. to be a public right. face to attach to, to this sort of thing. I wonder no, how much of that is like the UK versus North America, just cult- culturally and because they've been doing, you know, they've been in knee deep in or not neck deep in this now for for longer than we have our our needle in north america is barely just starting to move so that might be part of it as things have got we think they're further ahead and things are a lot more ugly there i think than than they are here and i think that's coming here Mm -hmm. once this is more debated in out and open in public i think it's going to bring out a lot more ugliness unfortunately yeah and then there'll be and then there'll be backlash as well to whatever backlash yeah it's it's such a it feels like we're in a very very fragile place right now where there's more attention on this issue and it's more possible people outlets are platforming people with more gender critical views in a way that just was basically impossible for the last few years but also some of these laws are really fucked up i mean just horrible like the idea that you're going to take kids from their parents that's insane. Like, like, let's put kids in, like, they're going to have any positive outcomes by taking kids from loving families and putting them in foster care. It's <laughs> so yeah. fucked up. Yeah. It really yeah. is. And it's cr- criminalizing the parents who've been told by the medical profession that they're this is following, what the right they're following the fucking yeah. guidelines. And even if we disagree about the guidelines, even if, if, even if the three of us think that the guidelines are wrong, or at least brought wrong in part, they're still doing what their doctors are telling them. You know, there has to be some way to reform this, but it has to start with the doctors. You know, it has to start with medical organizations and places like WPATH saying, wait a second, let's maybe, uh, let's maybe like revisit these standards of care. Um, <laughs> oh, they did. They Have are, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Oh, it's it's yeah. atrocious. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't think that you don't think that 14 is old enough to consent to a to a double mastectomy, Aaron? Really? You don't think that? Yeah, maybe it's a, you know, a good age to identify as a eunuch and proceed in that direction. But you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. no, they, they do. They have a whole chapter on eunuchs. It's like it, it, it's. I, I think I think W bath is is going to be the perfect undoing of this. Honestly, yeah. I think when yeah. people people read what they are endorsing, everybody's gonna be like, "Oh shit, this is all. Yeah. This is all just yeah." So what are they yeah. saying about the what do they call it uh, null or nullification? What are their what are their guidelines for the eunuch thing? Oh, do you remember? Is that, we is did that a, separate? We did I don't even remember if they talked about nullification surgeries. So. What does that look like? Do you look like a Ken doll? I'm yeah, just so I think it's, yeah, what Barbie the Fuck. Yeah. So have so have like a little hole you, at the bottom. From yeah, like yeah, for yeah. urine yeah yeah yeah, yeah like a, a urethra is the only yeah yeah 
Yep. Yeah. Um, in there, in there, it's, it's being advertised to people who've had phalloplasty. That's creepy. That's like because that's really like upsetting. the fallow, the fallow failed. So let's go to the next. Like, what mm-hmm. the fuck? Have, mm-hmm. have, did you guys ever consider fallow? I I did for, for a while. I, I yeah. thought about it, but I I couldn't go there. It's it's too gruesome for my uh, my stomach. Yeah. 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 When you uh when you read about the complications, just. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just kept saying, oh, I'll do it once it's safer, once it's better, once they ever find it. Um, you don't want to be the yeah. guinea pig? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but hearing, hearing some of the stories, like this one guy, uh, he went in for fallow and uh, they actually took a skin graft from the wrong thigh and then had to do it on the other one. So he's got two massive gaping scars in his legs. And also then the way he talks about it after the fact is basically that it feels so foreign and so weird attached to his crotch. And it's like sure. something that it, like, it's like a new kind of dysphoria that he has oh. to deal with. And, and that's, and I think that's, people are getting it thinking, oh, now I'll have a penis. Perfect. And then it's like, this is not, it doesn't my, feel like it's not right. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, is, is there sensation in the like shaft of the penis? I mean, I know they've tried to preserve some nervings and preserve the ability to orgasm, but I think it must feel like time a... they're retaining sensation these days. Okay. Yeah. That yeah, wasn't crazy. Case. I've definitely known some guys, they have no sensation at all. That's not a, yeah, that's, yeah, it's just a gamble. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. Wouldn't take it. Yeah. Yeah. Even the, even like, you know, like you got to get electrolysis. Like I've seen some photos of, of, penises that and vaginas that uh the electrolysis wasn't particularly effective and so you basically have a dick covered in black hair um or like, <laughs> like they or take you have hair from, growing into your, your, your you have, right? which is worse like, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah or uh you know you have tattoos on your on your donor tissues so <laughs> yeah i've seen that yeah yep a tattooed phallus like, like a, a big, faded, really a, faded heart, a heart that says <laughs> mom on it on your dick <laughs> But hey, oh if it God. makes people happy, fucking by all means, go for it. <laughs> I um, I didn't realize this, but apparently um, part of it, the skin graft portion, I, I don't, yeah, I'm not super educated on the details of this, but um, there's like burn specialists who take care of that part of it. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, this, uh, this um, person was talking about how he worked. He was, he was part of a multiple um, phalloplasties years ago. And he said, most of them failed. And this was in response to something um, uh, uh, Barry Weiss had posted about, about transition something. And it was just, he was just down somewhere in the comments talking about um, the, the, the fail, failure rate. And so I DM'd him, I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean by failure rate? And he said, at least about, about 60 to 70% just failed. And I was like, what, what does fail mean? He's like, they, they did not stay attached. And I was yeah. like, Jesus Christ. Like that, That'd be yeah. so traumatizing. Yeah. 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 Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Oh but these God. people aren't the ones who go on to the FDM forums and talk about their results. Right. And so the, the people who go on and talk about it are people who are like, yay, you know? So. Yeah. And there is that piece in New York magazine, I think last year, um, I'm sure you guys saw this. There was a trans mm-hmm. guy who, and the, the guy had, he had gone through so much trauma. Like he had written for other, other outlets about, asking a friend to rape to like simulate mm-hmm. rape on him because he had all of this this latent trauma and was like and then wrote another piece for rolling stone about taking psychedelics to deal with trauma just it was, just seemed to be like going through all of the different therapies to try to find the thing that would fix them 
and he he kept his vagina so he's mm-hmm. got a dick and a pussy in the same mm-hmm. the same it's like we're real uh swiss army knife of genitals there yeah yeah just yeah, listening to that person's experience of life and then deciding oh we should perform this really experimental uh invasive uh high failure rate surgery on them yeah that's that's, that's good medicine that's yeah. just... doctors <laughs> psycho yeah and i mean you, you know, yeah. another thing i'm hearing in, in like aaron I don't know if this is like your experience back in the day, phallioplasty, I think it was kind of like, it was sort of considered mandatory for a long time. It's like you, you get the bottom surgery portion. Um, but then around the time I was transitioning 2012, it was a rarity. Like most people didn't do that. And uh, certainly phallioplasty, mitoneoplasty was more popular, but phallioplasty was just kind of like, that was for the people who were just so dysphoric about not having a, like a proper, you know, anatomically sized penis that they went that route. And it was oftentimes you see the results and it's like not really good, but apparently now I'm hearing from these FTM communities is it's like really popular to have this surgery, even for non-binary identifying people to, to go and get your fallow surgery, just like how people would talk flippantly about going and getting, um, you know, top surgery previously. Um, so that's, that's pretty interesting and alarming. Um, I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that transition related health, like because of the affordable care act now transition healthcare is, is mandated to be covered by insurance as well as things like, like Medicaid. Um, and then also now there's, you know, we've seen the rise in, in platforms like GoFundMe and things like that. I mean, fuck the people, like my friends on Instagram, like that I, people I still follow, you know, you go to their Instagram stories and it's just like, go fund me after go fund, you know, it's a queer, non-binary, whatever, help, help, you know, Kale get the body he always wanted or whatever shit like that. Um, so more funding covered by insurance. I would imagine that has something to do also yeah. with the, the rise in uh, this kind of stuff. They're probably not something that Obama was thinking about when he crafted the legislation, make more mm-hmm. dicks. <laughs> yeah, 15, 20 years ago, I didn't know very many guys that were getting it done. And, and it, yeah, I think it probably is because it wasn't, co- it wasn't covered. We didn't have a, many surgeons in Canada that could do it. I remember years ago, it was even long before I transitioned even, but I went to a, a party. It was a guy who wanted a phalloplasty, who wanted to fundraise to get it done. So it was this big community party to raise money and a guy that had it done walked out in a bathrobe and then disrobed and showed really? everyone this is what he wants this is you know this is what you're raising how'd it look and and he had a really good result yeah and I think the more of these good results you see more they think it's kind of like the social contagion thing right I mean you see more good results it lowers the threshold sure for people wanting it it's like well that person got it and that person got it and they seem to be doing okay so I guess this is fairly risk-free and, and now it's covered and, and we've got a surgeon in, in Canada that, that does it. And so lots of guys now are getting it done. Yeah. There was a whole, there was a time when, you know, I would go to like top surgery fundraiser, top surgery benefits all the time. It was just, it was such a, you know, you got a party out of it though, at least. And now you just donate, donate to someone's GoFundMe, less fun. There's also this thing that I've observed in the last couple of years with the rise of the non-binary thing where people really like the aesthetic is really to be both or in the middle. So you'll have, you know, uh, a, 
a dude with like tits and a beard or a non a, a they them with tits and a beard or the aesthetic is masculine maybe has top surgery and grows facial hair but dress is really feminine um and i, I it's bizarre you know I, and i i don't mean that in sort of a judgmental way but i think there's something for most people inherently like there's something about that that looks strange. And within, if you're in a queer community in Bellingham or Vancouver or Seattle or Asheville or whatever, and all of your friends are doing the same thing, it seems normal and it's part of the aesthetic and it's what people are doing and it's cool. But as soon as you leave that, people are going to fucking look at you. I think that's the point though. Like, yeah. Like, I think yeah, it's meant right, to yeah. be strange. It's meant, it's meant to be unsettling for people. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. two things or three things are going on with those is, is with the whole, queer theory, gender ideology, trans good, cis bad. It's, 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 a, it's actually like a virtue signal to be like, I'm not going to conform, I'm not going to pass as one or the other. Totally. I'm going to stand out as, you know, what they call gender fuck or whatever. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's, yeah. like, it's, it's like projecting a moral position is, is totally. basically what, what they're doing. And then it also fulfills that um, victimhood uh, that, that's so important to having a, a strict religious belief is now, now they're experiencing transphobia everywhere they go because everybody looks at them like, what the fuck? And <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, it's a self-fulfilling uh, totally, totally. Uh, thing. You yeah. do something that makes people look at you like you're a freak and that, like do it on purpose and then you complain with people. I mean, in this, you know, yeah. it's like goss being mad when people look at them weird, you know, it's, you know, it's, it is, it is so such an aesthetic, a weirdly aesthetic thing. My, what I want to know is like, what happens when these people get older? Because most of us moderate as we get older. You know, a lot of people who were radical queers grow up to be, you know, like teachers and shit. They, you know, you just like, you have kids, mm -hmm. things change, you get out of the scene. And that's what I'm curious about is this, is there going to be people who are like, why did I, Ooh, that was a weird look, you know, or if uh, they'll maintain the, 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 the nursing the, home with the non-biased <laughs> granny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think i think it, it's kind of unprecedented because what we're, we're seeing simultaneously like a, a youth counterculture merged with like a, a new religion sort of thing and and so what i'm wondering is what what so i don't think no they're not going to grow up and be like that they're going to grow out of it they're going to realize holy shit i got swept up in a trend i did all this to my body um and so what i'm wondering is how do they make sense of that like um, you're seeing all these, uh, most of the detransition stories that we're hearing now are people who had a very binary experience of their decision to transition. You know, it's like, I want yeah. to be a man. I, yeah. I want to be a woman. And for whatever reason that failed and they're like, oh shit, let's walk with this back. But it makes sense. It's like, you wanted to do this thing. It didn't work. You've got to take it back. This is the damage that's not been done. And like, so to process that is one thing. It's terrible, but it makes sense. Like you, people can understand that. But then I think the majority of people who are down the line, the majority of detransitioners are going to have been people who did the whole gender fuckery where they're microdosing on, um, on testosterone and they're having double mastectomies just to signal the, the, the group affiliation. And what, how do they make sense of that? Like what, what mm -hmm. cognitively, how do you, how do you explain that to yourself, to other people? Um, that's, that's what I'm curious about. It will be very interesting to see what happens. I do wish we could sort of fast forward um, through the next stage to get <laughs> to find out what happens, but I guess give it time. It'll happen. Or what happens when Yo, people yeah, age like and they start 
becoming demented. Oh yeah. I mean, that must, there, there must be, you know, people with Alzheimer's who look in the mirror and think, what the fuck did, you know, who is that? I mean, where's I my penis? Right. Right. I guess blissfully you would probably forget about it, but it would be like memento, this sort of recurring horror or what is of what you've done to your body. That is, do you guys worry about that? Do you have dementia in your family? I do have uh, my grandpa on my mom's side had Alzheimer's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll, uh, hopefully they'll have a cure by the time, um, the time you get there. It's, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, I, like uh, Aaron and I have talked about this a few months back, but we always like looked in the mirror and expected to see, you know, a masculine reflection and that wasn't the case. And it was kind of like this disorienting uh, feeling and you kind of like avoid mirrors for that reason. And um, anyway, so maybe down the line, we'll have the reverse experience of that. It's like, oh my God, who's this man? You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Lots to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here, Katie. Yeah, it's good to talk to you guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support. 